The Tennis Gambling Podcast and Sports Gambling Podcast now are presented by WinBet. Bet $50 at WinBet and get $200 in free bets. Bet big, win bigger with WinBet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning today. We're also brought to you by IP Vanish. IP Vanish is the official VPN of SGPN, and they're offering 70% off if you go to ipvanish.com slash SGP. That's ipvanish.com slash SGP. And make sure to check out our new SGPN Discord server, the perfect place to interact and sweat bets with the entire SGPN crew. Just go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Discord. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast and Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Reichel, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Sam Jacob. And together, we're going to go through some upcoming previews for the City Open in Washington, D.C., and with Los Cabos, and that should be a lot of fun. But before we do all that, introduction, Sam, how's it going with you? How was your Sunday? Uh, all right, decent Sunday. Not for the bets, though. Uh, we had we both had Alcaraz there as our locks, and Alcaraz was able to take away the first set with the tiebreaker, and then Sinner just absolutely pummeled him. I mean, six one, six one, the second and third set. So he just looked unbelievable. But you could talk more about that. Yeah, the way that I saw the match going, Alcaraz was very solid in the first set, obviously, because he won the set. However, he was up, I believe it was 6-1 in the breaker there. And then it got cut back to 6-5. And then he had a really impressive return on a center serve and ended up winning the set. So he almost blew the first set, despite being up 6-1. And it seemed like Sinner really just took the momentum from that point forward and just dominated. And I feel like the real turning point of that match was the second game of the second set. Alcaraz is up a set. He held pretty easily, 40-15, and he ended up holding in game one. Then he had love 40, and he also had uh, six, count them six, break points on center serve in the second game. He did not break, and then after that, he got absolutely pummeled because he went from winning the first game to losing the next six in the second set. So that was not exactly a fun time there. And then the third set came around. He had a break point early at 1-1, ended up not breaking, center held, then center ended up winning every game from that point forward. So the story of the second and the third sets was Alcaraz held serve the first time and then didn't hold serve again. He got absolutely smacked for the second and the third sets. I can't really roast Alcaraz, though. Uh, At the end, you can tell he kind of had enough, and Sinner just wore him down in the third set. But it wasn't like Alcaraz was playing terribly. Sinner just increased his level of play a certain gear, and it seemed like Alcaraz stayed at the same gear, and Sinner just blew past him. But... I do think it's worth talking about because Alcaraz has been the future face of tennis. That's kind of what I'm going to call him because everyone kind of expects him to be the future Nadal, whether he should be or not. Everyone's expecting him to win X amount of grand slams and to win all of these certain tournaments. Can we give Sinner some respect? Because he's beaten him in Wimbledon and in the final of Umag. He has not dropped a set. He's not dropped a uh, he's not dropped serve in the last seven sets of tennis against Alcaraz, which is wild. Alcaraz, I believe, is 0 for 17 in break points in the finals in the last seven sets that they've had. 
Is there a reason why Sinner is still somehow underrated? Because I think as of right now, and I think it's not really debatable because of what happened in the last two meetings, Sinner as of right now is a better player. Can we say that? Uh, well, well, according to the head-to-head, we could obviously see that Sinner has been able to destroy him. I'm not exactly sure what the count is on ATP titles uh, when you go head-to-head with each other. But yeah, Sinner has really put himself in a place where he easily deserves to be in the top 10 and when it comes to a head-to-head face-off between each other, center seems to absolutely dominate. So when we're talking about these younger guys here, I mean, center, I think, has a little bit more potential from what we're seeing uh, at the moment. You never know if Alcaraz, you know, is going to develop his game even more and be able to take it from him. But I'm not calling to- him a scrub, but at the same point, the media gives all the attention to Alcaraz because he's supposed to be the next Spanish phenom. Can we give Sinner some love? Uh, I think I, after this title, uh, I, we have to. The, the difference is, is that, of course, Alcaraz is a younger player, and we've seen Sinner around the tour a little bit longer. Um, and then Alcaraz also took down Djokovic in one of those clay matches earlier this year. So uh, maybe that's why he's getting so much attention. It's obviously also because of his age, but we got to give Sinner some love after what he's done uh, in this clay court season and the Wimbledon season. For the record, if you want to go through the ATP career titles, Alcaraz has five, Sinner has six. Okay, you just took the lead right there. So they're neck and neck there, but if you want to look at the Grand Slam actual tournament results, Alcaraz made the quarters of the French Open this past year, and he made the quarters of the U.S. Open last year. And you look at Sinner, he's made the quarters of the Australian this year, He made the quarters of the French Open in 2020, which I don't think anybody remembers. And he also made the quarters, of course, this past year when he went up 2-0 against Djokovic and then ended up losing. So Sinner's made more quarters in his very, very young Grand Slam tennis career. He has more titles, and he's won the head-to-head. I'm not saying Alcaraz is a scrub, but can we potentially pencil Sinner in as being another future face of tennis that's probably better than Alcaraz right now? Yeah, I, for sure. The, he just took the title lead. Sinner's also only 20 years old. A lot of media attention on Alcaraz. And yeah, he's 19, you know, he's doing... It's like, yeah, Sinner's 20. Sinner's 20. Like, he's about to turn 21 in about two, three weeks. But, I mean, come on. Like, it's really not that big of a difference. Yeah, I think there was a stretch there where we didn't see Sinner really win too many high-quality matches, and maybe that's why they fell off him a little bit, but definitely deserves to be back into the spotlight um, after seeing his performances. Well, this was actually the first tournament that Sinner reached a semifinal this year, which is pretty ridiculous. I know he had the injury issue earlier this year, which I know you actually had a bet on, which ended up getting voided. I believe that was in the French Open. I think. Uh, in t- 2022, yeah. Yeah, he got injured. So he could have made a deep run there, and then, of course, he got hurt. But I'm not saying, once again, that Alcaraz is a bad player. He's obviously great. I think that Sinner and Alcaraz are going to be the clear future of tennis. If throwing in Medvedev, if you, want, if you want to count that as a future or not, because he's already won a Grand Slam tournament, but he's going to be another member of the next big three. The only problem is you don't know when the big three are actually going to show up because you still have the big two, which are dominating every single Grand Slam tournament right now. So we're going to have to wait and see how that goes. But Sinner, props to him. He, kicked, he definitely picked up his level, and Alcaraz did not. 
And Alcaraz has to go to the drawing board because of right now, he just cannot break center serve. And that's going to be something that's worth keeping in mind moving forward. But we do have to move on to talk about Atlanta because this match was a lot more straightforward. You had had Demenor taking on Brooksby and Demenor absolutely ragdolled him around the court. Uh, He ended up winning 6-3, 6-3. I got the initial part of my handicap right. I thought that Demenor... Uh, I thought that Diminor would coast through the first set, and then I thought fatigue would play a factor. And a lot of money came in on Brooksby, by the way. He closed as the favorite, I believe, correct? Yeah, minus 140. Yeah, he went from plus 100 at a time recording yesterday to minus 140, and he got absolutely smacked. Now, Diminor going into the match, I thought was the better player. The question was the fatigue, because we saw... Diminor lose a set to Manorino, and he also lost a set to Avashka. And we were worried about the time on the court because Brooksby dropped one set to Isner, but each Isner set takes, what, 40 minutes because every damn service game takes, what, a minute and a half? Mm-hmm. So that didn't really take much time on the court, and he smacked the crap out of Tiafo. But Diminor just had a better, I'd say, execution of a very similar game plan. And Brooksby really does not have much firepower. And Diminor definitely worked on it. His forehand's able to actually create depth and to really push opponents around the court more than it was able to in the past. You have any real takeaways here? Because I feel like Brooksby just got outmatched. Brooksby got outmatched, but the thing that I will disagree with you upon is I actually think this match was extremely close. If you look at the statistics, like we said before, both of them are not great servers. Demon Hour had four aces in the entire match. Brooksby had two aces. Not very high numbers there. Um, and the issue came down to is the Brooksby second serve. This and is disgusting, by the way. The Brooksby, I mean, he he served a 94% second serve rate, which means he only double faulted one time the entire match, and yet he won 19% of his second serve points. He That's won three the for big 16. Statistic. I mean, three three for 16. You can't win a match like that, especially when we're talking about the break points. He had he had he faced four break points and saved absolutely none of them. Yeah. So I'm so I mean, he got to in the second set. He got broken at 40 they went to deuce um each time that he got broken and just every time the demon hour had an advantage he was able to convert on it brooksby couldn't handle it he was just he was just broken so he got broken early in the second set um to deuce again and then he broke back but then later on every time the demon hour had an advantage up, uh, Brooksby couldn't hold his serve and save the break points. So that's where he really lost on. He had two break points in the first set. When he faced the break point, lost it in, in the first set, and that's how he lost the match. I think they were both even, very evenly matched, and just some key factors uh, was failed on Brooksby, especially his second serve. Yeah, the 3-for-16 is one of the worst percentages I've seen in a tournament final, especially on the men's side. I mean, that is something next-level bad. but. I do think we're going to disagree a little bit because I do think that the issue Brooksby is going to run into for really the rest of his career, he's got to get in the gym. He's got to work out a bit more. He just doesn't have enough pace on his forehand and backhand. And there is some merit in keeping the ball in play and how you're able to, you know, elongate points and try to force your opponents to wear themselves out or even just to hit a bunch of unforced errors. But he's really just not hitting many winners. 
and that's going to be the problem. And Diminor, the issue he had when he initially came up, and he was still an entertaining player. We know the speeds there, the court coverage, but his strokes were also not very powerful. And from what I've seen from the past year, it seems like Alex has really taken it to heart to increase the overall speed and power on his shots. And I think that's the next level that Brooksby has to actually go through in order to maybe win his first ATP tournament title. We saw him lose in Newport on grass to Kevin Anderson last year, ended up losing, of course, yesterday to Diminor. But you don't think it's a potential concern that when you watch Brooksby play against really anybody on tour, he leaves himself very susceptible to getting blown off the court because he really can't force his opponents back and he doesn't get much depth on his shots. I mean, I agree, but that that style of play, the defensive style of play, um, for, can force a lot of the players on tour, I think a very high percentage of players on tour, to start making unforced errors. Some guy like Demon Hour, though, on the flip side, isn't going to make so many de- uh, unforced errors. Yeah. But, we, you know, we thought going into it, Brooksby had the better performances, and Demon Hour was fatigued. So I, I still think they had a very close match. But, yeah, he, he's got to get more pace on the ball to hit that next level. I, I agree with that 100%. I think it was closer than the 6-3, 6-3 indicates, but I think if these two players played each other in a best-of-seven series, I think it's ending in either five or six. Fair enough. I I just think Diminor is a better version of a pretty similar style of player, in my opinion. But either way, props to both of them for winning. Uh, Diminor wins his second Atlanta title in his career. Now it's time to move on, and we do have another tournament taking place in America as we're going to be traveling to Washington, D.C., in a tournament that Sam and I actually went to once before. And we're also going to go to Mexico to talk about Los Cabos. But before we do that, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. Make sure to get down on the Wins Bet $50 to win $200 promotion, where a $50 bet qualifies you for up to $200 in free bets. If you're betting baseball, you have to check out WinBet for their reduced juice in baseball games, which makes them the best place to bet MLB. And if you also bet $500 on sports or casino before July 31st, get entered to win the ultimate fantasy football draft experience at Encore Beach Club, including a two-night stay at Win Resorts for you and your entire league. Multiple entries are allowed. There's so much to choose from, and all you have to do is download the WinBet app or visit wynnbet.com to get started. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. And make sure to check out our new Discord server, the perfect place to interact and sweat bets with the SGPN crew. Just go to Sports Gambling podcast.com slash discord welcome back everyone to the tennis gambling podcast we just finished recapping the finals for sunday in umag and in atlanta now it's time to move on to what's to come and we got to start off in america once again talking about the city open taking place in washington dc uh one of my favorite tournaments of the year ended up on tv one time i was there is that a steph curry davidson jersey maybe i don't know but either way a lot of interesting names here in the actual tournament, a little bit top-heavy, but definitely not as top-heavy as the other tournament we're going to get to in a second. But Rublev is the favorite at plus 650. Kyrgios has the second-lowest odds at 7-1. to Herkaz is 8-1. to Fritz is 9-1. to Then you have Shapo, Diminor at 14-1, to and then a couple of long shots after that. Now, if you want to actually go through the previous winners 
of this tournament where you really don't have many options. Last year's winner was Sinner. He is not in the tournament. Kyrgios won it in 2019. Zverev won it in 17 and 18, but of course he is still injured and he is out indefinitely. You have Monfi, Nishikori, Rayonich, Del Potro, nobody who's actually in the tournament. So we are most likely going to get a first-time winner here unless Kyrgios is able to win it again. Sam, starting off with you, first of all, what are your impressions of the City Open since we've been there before for the overall just venue? And second of all, where do you think the value might lie when it comes to favorites? Uh, I, I love the City Open. I think it has a very nice venue for their center court and their outside courts. They have a s- secondary court um, that's also pretty nice, uh, pretty decent-sized stadium. And then their outside courts are pretty nice as well. They have a couple of uh, nice long benches, just like we see in any any one of these tournaments. But uh, those are just for the outside courts, of course. Um, but when, when it comes to the draws in this tournament, I think it's wide open. Uh, I don't see anyone here as a clear favorite going into this, and I think that's going to be another potential for maybe a long shot to pull through. Yeah, I don't see anyone in this field uh, that really could dominate this entire tournament and end up, you know, easily becoming the quarterfinalist, unless Kyrgios decides he finally wants to play a match again. Uh, good thing Kokonakis isn't in this one, so he doesn't have to just be like, "Up, oh, we're only playing doubles," but. Did win a I mean, doubles championship last week, by the way. I mean, good for him, but uh, he quits on singles. Yes, he does. So uh, you got a couple of great, good players in there, like Rublev, and you have Kyrgios, and you have on the bottom of the bracket Hercots, but I think it's a wide-open tournament. Well, I do want to ask you, since we did mention how it might be a bit wide-open, some players did not end up playing, of course, in Atlanta or any hard courts pretty much since the Australian Open season. How concerned are you for some players about some upsets early on because of the surface change from either grass to hard court or maybe a clay court thrown in there in between? Well, I will say this. I think the hard court is the more, most dependable of surfaces. I think it's the least susceptible to um, to underdog victories. But it's, it's the most basic surface. Let's put it that way. Right, but the the players here and the change of surface, I do think people the players are all vulnerable to early upsets here. I don't see anyone in this tournament that would be really really surprised to be upset early. Maybe besides Rublev, except for when he plays Cressy, I I, I don't know, but um, I think that a lot of all these players are vulnerable for getting upset early. So I think there there could be some value down the line here. Well, I do want to also ask you, since we have talked about the recent history of some tournaments in the past, if you want to back nationalities and look at the recent trends, this isn't the tournament for you because <laughs> there, there's been a lot of different nationalities that have won the title. Uh, an American has not won this tournament since 2007. So if you want to factor that in, you can. You've had a couple of runner-ups there. Uh, you had Isner be a runner-up twice. You had Roddick in 2009. But for the most part, it seems like the Europeans have done quite well here. Rayonich did win in 2014, but of course, he's still injured, so that's not really a factor. And Kyrgios won it, of course, in 2019. But are you basing any of your handicapping for this tournament on past success and maybe leaning towards the Europeans on the hard court, or does that just not play a factor at all? 
It's it's tough to say. I mean, who do you, you got only a couple of Europeans here that you could really base that on. You have, uh, I mean, you have Turcotts. I mean, who who else who else you got from the European side? I mean, you got Murray if you want to make an argument. You got Dimitrov, but I don't know why anybody would ever make an argument for Dimitrov. Uh, you have Evans. You have Golfin. I mean, you're nah, I taking some long shots there. You got like uh, Kakanov, you got Karatsev, you got some options closer to like the 25 to 1, 35 to 1 range. But up top, it's pretty much only Herkaz and Rublev for Europeans. Uh, if you're including Rublev as a European, I, I don't know if we are, but. Why not? Um, because he, he's, he's not playing with a flag. He's a Russian. He's a, he's a it's more. A, it's a, Asia, it's Asia Europe. Yeah. It's, it, it's, I, thought the, I thought that's such a big country that's technically in both. Uh, I, I consider it Asia just geographically, but uh, okay. I don't know. I guess the Western. We got to consult Western the risk Russia. board, and we'll get back to you. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, I was right. It goes through Eastern Europe and Northern Asia. So half, we'll call that half Europe, half Asia. Can we call that? I guess. I mean, if we're including Russians as as uh, Europeans, and I guess we can make a case for Rublev here, but uh, it's not really a factor to me. I'm just looking at individual uh, yeah. individual players, and I mean, that's... It that, was mostly uh, asking because there's a lot of Americans in here naturally because it's going to be taking place in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, and yet Americans have been terrible here in the past. So whether it involves back in a European or mostly just fading the Americans in this tournament, I was kind of just asking because Americans have really not fared well here in the past. Right, but if you take a look at who, give me some of the winners of the past five, the past eight winners. Let's go eight winners in this in this tournament. Okay. Uh, Sinner, then you had COVID. So, uh, Sinner, Kyrgios, Zverev twice, Monfi, Nishikori, Raonic, uh, Juan Martin Del Potro, Dolgopolov. I didn't even know Dolgopolov won in this tournament in 2012. Good for him, but. Couple okay. of top ten players, you know, some fringe guys. Rayonich was top ten in twenty fourteen. Nishikori was top ten in twenty fifteen. Fee, I don't know if he was top ten. I'm assuming he was closer to top twenty. And Zverev might have been young, but he should have been fringe top ten. Right. So we're talking about all guys that are basically in the top ten. And how many guys in this tournament do we have? Do we have in the top ten? Uh, you have not many options. But then again, uh, the, yeah, I was going to say the point system's a bit screwy. But Rublev is. Is Herkaz in the top 10? I don't think he is. Herkaz is 11. He's 11th. Okay. Yeah. So I, I can't, I'm, I'm just going to be looking at individual matches. I, I still think it's, I think it's wide open tournament. That's, that's all I can, that's all I can say about this one. So you uh, want to ask you though, since I mentioned the favorites, are there any guys maybe below 11 to one or 12 to one that you're actually interested in and potentially betting? So all I would all I would go for is to see which quarter is the weakest, and then I would go from there. And from what I see here, you have this Taylor Fritz um, and Kakanov quarter that includes Taylor Fritz. Um, I'm just talking about the top guys here. I guess yep. Edmund, Dan Evans, uh, Demon Hour, who just won a tournament, uh, like we talked about, Kakanov. And that, that's it. I mean, that's a wide open quarter that I think you might be able to take advantage of. Uh, Taylor Fritz, the issue is he's only a plus 900. So uh, who, am I, who would I go for here? Probably someone like, Ka I mean, Ka what's Kakanov in this tournament? Kakanov, I believe, was 35 to 1. So that's who I'd probably go for. You have a very weak quarter there that anyone could pull through. Kakanov is 
you know, he's not a bad player by any means. He's sometimes inconsistent, but he, uh, he's a very good hardcore player. So if there's anyone that I'm going to be going for in this tournament, it would be someone like Kakanov, who's 35 to 1, has a bye in the first round and is playing a weak quarter like he has. I think if I was going to take any of the favorites, I would take Herkaz. I just really like the draw and how it lines up for him. We know that he's a very big server, and I do think that'll translate well. You're looking at him. He's at the way bottom. He'll have to face off against either Mackenzie McDonald or Rusevori in the second round. He has a bye. Uh, then you're going to see Murray most likely against Karatsev kill each other. I think Herkaz is a good enough serve to beat both those guys. And then you're looking at who he's against after that. I mean, it might be Baez or Avashka or Dimitrov. It's really not many guys. I think Herkaz is a very nice path there for the favorites. So I think I'm going to go with him in the smaller odds. But I do think if you want to take this tournament with a bit of a bit of a smorgasbord approach, just take a couple of long shots, sprinkle them around on what draws you like, and just go from there. I think there are worse ways to bet this tournament than taking a couple of 30 to one shots and higher and just seeing what sticks. Cause I do think you're going to end up getting at least one Cinderella run to the semis. At least you agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, like I said before, this is a wide open tournament. Um, the fourth quarter, they have uh, Dimitrov and Korda who should uh, play each other. Probably if Korda decides to actually play like he should you know, on a hard court surface. And then you have Furcats on the bottom there. So that, that quarter might be a little bit crazy. But uh, other other than that, I think there's definitely could be a Cinderella story that go, it gets pretty far. Yeah, for me, I'm trying to think of any other Cinderellas. You mentioned Kakanov. Kakanov's a pretty good player. He's a basic ATP tournament semifinalist. He'll give you a decent run for a decent portion of the week, and then he's going to get smacked in the semis. It's kind of been the story of his career. He's had a couple of moments where he's gone past it. I know he lost in a thrilling final to Batista Goot earlier this year. But still, I think you'd agree with me. Kakanov's a guy who might get you close to the finish line, but he might run out of gas with a lap to go. Right. Uh, it depends on who he has to play. That's the thing about this tournament. You don't know if the Cinderella story is going to be the one that Kakanov has to play. And then uh, at 35 to 1, you get hedged in the final, like we've been talking about throughout the podcast. But he has won four ATP tournaments on hard court. So 35 to 1, it's a pretty good price for me with a, with a quarter like that. That's, that's who I'm going for. And for the favorites, I, I really don't want to say it again. But you, don't, you don't have to take one. You, you can just take a bunch of long shots and go. I just hate to say it, but Kyrgios also, if he decides to be the guy that wants to play the game, should also come out of his quarter pretty easily. He'll have to play that Hercots, um dimitrov quarter, quarter in the uh, semis, but he should be able to come out of his quarter uh, pretty easily with his quarter being Van de Schlupp on top of the bye. Um, then you have Tiafo. Uh, Tommy Paul and Opelka. Tommy Paul versus Kyrgios could be an interesting match, but other than that, with Opelka's poor performances recently, uh, Kyrgios should be able to take the quarter without an issue. Uh, yet, we did see him in the City Open look at his mom and say, I don't want to be here anymore, just because Sandgren decided to break him one time uh, in the first set. So, we'll have to see if his volatile attitude pushes him forward to wanting to play or pushes him backwards on defeating himself. And so, for the record, we'll uh, Kyrgios did withdraw in that match against Sangren that we went to. So, there you go. But either way, we're trying to think of some other long shots. I personally like Zandislup. 
I really like that price of 35 to one. I think he's a good player. I, I think that if you're looking at draws and you're looking for a guy who could make somewhat of a run, I really think that Zan Schlup has a pretty good draw. He's got the bye in the first round, facing off against Duckworth and Gojo. I think Zan Schlup's going to win that. Then he'll probably face off against Tiafo. We'll see. Bonzi, and, Bonzi I think, is going to beat Eubanks, but I think Bonzi could give Tiafo a run for his money. But Tiafo's a psycho. So I know that Tiafo is a bit of a local kid, kind of, right? He went to Maryland, didn't he? Uh, who? Didn't Tiafo go to Maryland? Oh, Tiafo, yeah. He trained, no, he trained uh, right across the street from the University of Maryland College Park. He didn't go to the college, but he but, trained. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, he trained very, very close to where the tournament's taking place. He's familiar with the area. That was my Oh, point. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. He so be, yeah. you, the crowd will definitely be behind him, arguably harder than every other American there. But we've seen Tiafo fall apart, and we just saw it. He was great against Nakashima. Faced off against Brooksby, and he got his ass kicked. The inconsistency is what's going to plague him his entire career, and it's why I really don't like him that much as a player because I want to like him. He's got the talent, but you can't trust him, and he also has a pretty low tennis IQ. It seems like his shot selection just betrays him at times, but I do think that Zanchlop, if he can get past Tiafo, has a pretty favorable draw, and at 35-1, to 1, I do think he has a very nice shot of potentially making a run. Now, we saw Diminor just win a tournament. He does have a bye in the first round, which should prevent him from withdrawing from the entire event. I'm assuming we have no interest in him or Brooksby based on fatigue. Well, definitely not Brooksby. Uh, he'll have to actually... Yeah, <laughs> Brooksby's going to beat Nishioka in the first round and then have to play Demon Hour. Off a bye. Right, who's off a bye. That, that's fun that they'll have to rematch if uh, Brooksby's going to stay in this or Demon Hour stays in this. I know you said that he has a bye, so he should. But um, I, I can't. With the fatigue there, uh, the, those type of players, they're, they're very good players. They're good players, but they're not good enough to go back-to-back like Rude could be when he plays clay, clay courts. You know yeah, and I, mean? I, was trying so. to, I was trying to make a case for Golfin who I really like as a player, and he had some moments. I know, of course, he made a deep run in Wimbledon. But I have a really hard time with that matchup against Cressy just because of how short Gofen is. I don't know how many breaks he's going to get there. And I think he could beat Cressy, but he's going to be up against it every time trying to break serve. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep, and then he'll have to play Rublev after if Rublev's able to beat Kozlov or Drapers. Yeah, and Kozlov I don't think is very good, but either way. Uh, yeah, so just to go through that one more time, uh, I'll look at Herkaz at 8-1 to one if you want to go for a favorite. For long shots, you can really just throw as many darts at the dartboard as you want. Of course, bet responsibly. But I'm going to go with Zanschlup at 35-1. to one. I think he's got a pretty solid draw there for the price. And besides that, uh, do I really like anybody else? That's the real question. Not really, to be honest. You interested in Cressy at all, 28 to 1? Or you just think him having to go up against Golfin and then maybe Rublev is too much? Uh, yeah, he has to go against Rublev, then he'll have to go against Shapovalov. I think. Brutal draw. I mean, Shapo's been terrible this entire year, but... Uh, it's a, I, I, I can't back him. I can't back him with the draws that he has. I rather, I'm going to go personally for just that long shot of Kakanov and then just stay away from the futures until I see maybe quarters come up and then take it from there. But uh, I, let's, do, let's do some Los Cabos. I'm ready. 
Yeah, okay. So, uh, anyway, that's going to be the breakdown for the outrights. We would do quarters, but those are not out at this point in time. So, time to pivot and talk about a tournament with, I'd say, a lot fewer people who have a realistic shot of winning. Can I say that? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, to go through the odds here, we mentioned how Rublev was favored in Washington, D.C. at around plus 650 or so. Can I interest you in minus 200 Medvedev? <laughs> I love that's, it. That's to win the really. tournament, by the way. He's minus two hundred to win the tournament. He's priced like prime Nadal in the French Open. I mean, this these, this draw is just absolutely a cakewalk for Medvedev. Yeah, it's it's very the quality of players is very weak for him. It should be an absolute cakewalk. I I hate the change of surface, but I mean his path to the final is an absolute joke. And he dominates My, hard courts. I mean, this yeah, is what Medvedev he, does. He he literally has only one maybe matchup in the, and that's going to be in the final versus maybe Nori or Auger and Medvedev versus any one of those guys. Can you just read through the draw just so we could laugh for a second because this is really rough. <laughs> yeah, sure. Medvedev uh, he has a bot in the first round and then he'll go on to the next round um playing a qualifier or Rodrigo Pacheco Mendez who um, the very few players I've never heard of make these tournaments. Never heard of them. Uh, fun uh, fact, by the way, uh, Mendez actually withdrew. It's a matchup between Hallis and Barankas. Oh, oh no, no, no! That's not the that's not the one that he's going to have to play next. He would have to play Hallis and Barankas. He's play the winner. You said Mendez. Mendez dropped. Yeah, no, no Hallis and Barankas. He would play after the the round of sixteen. But underneath, well, from what I see, underneath the I'm Mendez's, looking at the ATP website. It says he has a buy, and then in the round of 16, he'd face off against a qualifier or uh, Pacheco Mendez, and Mendez right. dropped according to SofaScore. Yeah, but Barankas Hallis wouldn't take the spot. They 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 have that seven eight matchup there. Then uh, I, I guess they're just I don't know. SofaScore's all over the place. It has Hallis listed in two different places, so I guess maybe <laughs> they just messed up the actual. Okay, whatever. Anyway, oh, going, go, to me. Doesn't matter. Doesn't going matter. on, going on. That's that's not really a problem for Medvedev. Anyway, he has to play either Bagnus Escobedo, Barankas, Hallis. They're going to play each other, and that's the end of his quarter. <laughs> <laughs> what is? I what mean, is? It's not up yet. But what price do you even put to win the quarter? Like minus four fifty, five hundred. I go higher, minus six hundred. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure the best player in that field is ranked 73rd in that quarter. <laughs> oh, God. And that would be Hallis. Yeah, I mean, it's rough. And Hallis, we've seen be a bit of a lunatic at times. There's no guarantees he's even going to make it to Medvedev. It's just it's ridiculous. But uh, after that, he would have to play actually a decent player in the quarterfinal. He would play Ketchmanovich. Uh, he has a bye. Then you have Hanfman and Thompson. Hanfman, we saw, uh, made a decent run. And, Ke- and Kekmanovic would, would have to potentially face Nakashima. So there is no guarantee that he would even face off against Kekmanovic, but just keep that in mind. Right, and, they, and then below that's Loxonen, and then he's versus a qualifier, Nakashima versus a qualifier. So you have Kekmanovic and Nakashima, who are not bad players at all compared to the rest of Medvedev's first quarter, but not a challenge for Medvedev at all. So that's his half of the bracket. Yeah, she should coast to the finals. It's 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 not even a question. He has one real match, I guess, against either Nakashima versus Kachmanovich, where he he'll uh, have to get in the groove a little bit. But it's not, nothing 
no no competition really at all to be seen. And then you have the bottom side of the bracket, which I'll, I'll go through real quick. It's more but, competitive than the top side of the bracket. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's it's You have two of the players that are like easily better than anyone that's in the top half, but you have Echeverry versus Kubler. Echeverry is decent on clay court. Hardcourt can't say that for himself. Radu Albert versus Feliciano Lopez. Feliciano Lopez is um, past his prime, let's just say. Uh, then you have a qualifier versus Chun Zing Tsang, and then you have Cameron Nori, who's you know the yep. next guy up in this tournament, who's the second favorite. But that third quarter is kind of brutal. Besides Nori, and then you have in the fourth quarter Kokonakis, who lost in the first round last tournament. Why Kyrgios quit? Kokonakis just- sucks. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll just be honest. He sucks. It's he, fine. You know. He's he's versus Verdasco, who's past his prime. Uh, old man Verdasco. Then you have Steve Johnson. Uh, Alex Hernandez versus J- John Millman, and then Auger, who is also the you know, one of those other guys that are, that are decent in the tournament of the top three of those three guys. That if you all- if you want my upset call for the tournament, I think Millman beats Felix. I don't think so. I'm just throwing it out there. Just gonna throw it out there. I, we've done pretty well fading Felix early in these tournaments. That's true, but I think Hardcourt a little bit different and I'm not a big fan of John Millman so yeah, I don't I don't know so. Mil- Millman beat Federer in that fr- in that US Open several years ago mm-hmm. so he has some hard court success in the past but we'll see you know it was we'll a long see. time ago but either way Medvedev minus 200 I think he's going to win uh, yeah, I think he's going to win this tournament without a question, but the change of surface yeah. is what keeps me away from it. If I saw this maybe one tournament in, I would consider taking it because of how ridiculous this field is. I was going to say, can, can I even stay away because he has about, what, two, three tune-up matches before the final? Um, yeah, that, that should help him pretty well. But uh, I, I, I mean, mean like, that- you can argue, Medvedev, with the current field, he should be like minus 300. Like, even higher, potentially, because Nori and Felix are going to kill each other. And that's basically it. I think if you wanted to make an argument for anybody else, I would maybe consider Nori because he is the defending champion and he is a top 10 player in the world. So you could make a Nori argument for 6-1. to one. And maybe a sprinkle there or a sprinkle on Kubler only because I like Kubler. So that's only, like, my main reason why I would even consider it. But... I think the I two bets are going to be Medvedev and Nori and significantly more money on Medvedev than Nori. Yeah, if I could pick like Nori when uh getting uh getting to the final, then I would I would definitely consider that, but I, I really can't take anyone in this tournament besides Medvedev to win the thing but to win the whole thing because he'll have to play Medvedev almost certainly in the final and then your hedging opportunity goes into the drain because of the odds in the final. So uh, you only got one guy, in my opinion, that's Medvedev. The question is, if you want to lay that kind of money, that minus 200, um, I won't be mad at you. I mean, he'll have a couple tune-up matches. It maybe, it maybe won't even help him because of how easy it is, but there's literally nobody else that you could hedge even in the final. So I, 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 think, I, I think I have to take this. I mean, we're talking, we talked earlier about the next-gen guys, and with Alcaraz and Sinner, they've been really good on clay. Uh, Sinner was very good on grass. The hard courts, Medvedev just absolutely owns. And we know that he won the U.S. Open last year. He was in the final, that crazy five-set final against Nadal a couple of years ago, which he had a shot of winning, which is one of the best finals I've seen in several years. But then on top of that, he should have won the Australian Open this year, which I'm still salty about because I had money on it. But he was up two sets to nothing with triple break point, and he lost to Nadal. 
But the point is, you look at his numbers on hard court compared to other surfaces, he's an absolute hard court demon. There's no other way to put it. He's the second best uh, player in the world on the hard court. You can argue third because Nadal beat him head to head. I I wouldn't even argue so. I think he would beat Nadal, in my opinion, at this point. But either way, they they did just play. So that's why, if you want to go head to head, he's worst case scenario third. Right, and and we're talking about guys like Rafa Nadal and Djokovic, and being almost like not exactly the same quality, but pretty much up there. So and he beat Djokovic, and Djokovic was battling an injury going for the going for the calendar Grand Slam. But the point is. Medvedev, you can really argue, is as good or slightly below Djokovic and Nadal right. on hard court. And you look at who's in this quarter, or even this quarter, this half, this whole tournament, I think I'm going to lay 200. I, I, I really don't fair. know how anybody is going to beat him unless he just has a total meltdown. And if, even if you're looking at the players who actually possess the, I'd say, skills to beat Medvedev, Medvedev beat Felix in that very entertaining Australian Open match. Do you think Nori has the actual talent to overwhelm Medvedev over a three-set match? Of course not. They play the same style, and Medvedev's better. Right. Medvedev's a lot better. Uh, Nori's a very good player, but... And Felix has a serve. So Felix has something that he can actually go to as a weapon. I think Nori facing off against Medvedev is going to be very similar to Nori against Djokovic. In Wimbledon, you look, uh, you look across from him and you realize this guy plays the same way, but he's 10 times better than me. And that's, that's going to be a huge problem for Nori, obviously. I mean, Auger, uh, he won five sets versus, um, versus Medvedev in the Aussie. So he got a match you, point, I think. You got some merit there on a three-set tournament, but when you're talking quality of player, there's no one close to Medvedev, no matter yeah. what. So I'm going to go Medvedev. My other option, I guess, is Nori, who I know just said basically has no shot to beat Medvedev, but I really don't trust Felix at all. And Nori made the final, and he won the title last year here. So getting the defending champion to at least make it to the final, I think, is tempting, hoping Medvedev stumbles. And I don't mind Kubler just because I like the guy. But once again, you're looking at a bunch of nobodies at the bottom, and I'm going with Medvedev to win the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Medvedev's going to win the whole thing. I'm still going to be hesitant. I'm laying a minus 200. I think he should clearly win, but it's just a little bit too much for me. But uh, I, I completely understand it. Yeah, but either way, that's going to do it for the actual outrights. Now, Sam, I know we mentioned the idea of possibly going through a couple of first round matches before getting into lock and dog. It has been a little bit long for a podcast. Do you want to actually do the first round matchup stuff or just get into lock and dog? Uh, let's go into lock and dog. We'll talk a little bit about matches over there. We have some pretty basic qualifiers in this first round. So yeah. we're gonna, I mean, I already know we're going to overlap on a couple of these picks because we're basically going to have to when we pick some of these. But you know, it is what it is. I just keep an eye on Medvedev in the first couple of rounds under spread because those could be brutal um, matches. You could see definitely some six zeros or six ones in there. So yeah, I don't even mind maybe a Medvedev under twelve and a half personal games. I don't expect many seven fives or tiebreakers. I just think he's going to kill these guys. But either way, uh, we're going to go to the lock and dog segment. But before we do that, we have another quick word from our sponsor. 
Did you know that browsing online using incognito mode does not actually protect your privacy? That's right. Without added security, you might as well give away all your private information to hackers, advertisers, your ISP, and other prying eyes. That's why I use IP Vanish VPN to make it easy to stay truly private and secure on the internet. IP Vanish helps you safely browse the internet by encrypting 100% of your data. That means all your private details, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be completely shielded from falling into the wrong hands. Even your physical location will be hidden. IP Vanish makes you virtually invisible online. It's that simple. You can use IP Vanish on unlimited devices without sacrificing speed, on computers, tablets, phones, even fire stick devices while streaming media. Whether I'm at home or in public, I don't go online anymore without using IP Vanish. Plus, IP Vanish has a great deal in place. It's offering an incredible 70% off their yearly plan for our listeners with a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's just like getting nine months absolutely free. IP Vanish is super easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're instantly protected. You won't even know it's on. Stop sharing with the world everything you stream, everything you search for, and everything you buy. Take your privacy back with the brand rated 4.6 out of 5 on Trustpilot. So go to ipvanish.com SGP and use promotional code SGP and claim your 70% savings. That's ipvanish.com slash SGP. We're also brought to you by Odds Trader. On this podcast, I've mentioned time and time again the importance of shopping your lines. And while it might be annoying to pull up several books to find the best line available for you, it takes a lot of effort. And luckily for us, Odds Trader does the work for you because Odds Trader is the perfect place to compare odds from all the major sports books in one central location. You can also compare the different signup codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal when you initially sign up. The app provides you with player statistics, key game stats, injury reports, and projected game day weather for bettors to make the most informed bets possible. It also has a bet tracker feature so bettors can keep records of all their games and betting activity. Go to Odds Trader dot com slash blue wire odds trader the number one site for all of your game day bets welcome back everyone to the tennis gambling podcast and now it's time to get into the fun segment for the show it's gonna be the lock and dog segment segment where we get into the actual individual matches and talk about our favorite favorite our lock so to speak and our favorite underdog in the dog segment sam uh didn't go too well for both of us on sunday let's turn it around what do you got for your lock I'm going to defer to you for the locks first. Oh, so we're switching up the mojo. I respect that. I did the same thing with Terrell in the WNBA podcast. He couldn't hit a bet for like a week. Then we flipped around the order. He went 4-0. <laughs> so, it, you know, you got to switch up the gambling mojo every I heard about that. I, it I works out. Yeah, news travels, you know, when you've come up with a little, <laughs> you know, gambling ha- life hack, you know, all that, that could just change all the karma you need. But for this one, I'm going to go to the city open. And I'm going to take Peter Gojo. Do you want to help me with the pronunciation there? Gojochik. Gojochik. And I'm going to take him to beat Benoit Pair at around minus 160, minus 150 shop around. I have no idea how this is only minus 160. This makes absolutely <laughs> no sense to me. Benoit Pair, who we've roasted time and time again on this podcast for good reason. And if you even half follow tennis, you know Benoit Pair and you know his shtick. He's going to show up. He's never going to be happy. He's going to lose immediately. And he's going to get paid. Am I missing something? 
<laughs> nah, definitely so, not. To go through Benoit Pair's recent results, he's 0-7 in his last seven matches. And Gajocic has actually been okay on hard court. If you want to go through the recent results, he played in Atlanta. He beat Escobedo in three. He beat Steve Johnson in straight sets. He was supposed to play against Kyrgios. Kyrgios withdrew, and then he ended up facing off against Manorino. Lost 6-3, 7-6. But the point is, Gajocic's actually been playing on hard court, and he's looked somewhat comfortable. Pair is a disaster, and it doesn't matter what surface he's on. He played Brooksby in the first round of Atlanta. I know Brooksby made the final, but he lost 6-3, 6-1. He punted the final couple games of the second set. He played on clay against Yemmer, lost 6-2, 2-0, had a groin injury, and he withdrew. Played in Wimbledon, lost in four sets to Hallis. Before that, played in Milan against Batutin, lost the first set 7-6 and said, get me out of here. And he left. Played against Sonigo. It's a tough matchup for him, though. Yeah, I know, of course. Played (laughs) against Stuttgart, against Sonigo, lost in straight sets. And uh, you can keep going. It's not pretty. So the fact that it's minus 160 and you get paid if pair withdraws or retires after one set is a great price for me. Give me the 160. I'm not going to take the spread because Pear might quit again. Give me Gajocic at minus 160. Yeah, the reason why I defer to you is because I'm definitely going to agree with that. I mean, the the recent results that you just stated and the statistics are just laughable. He keeps quitting. The comparison, definitely take a book. Make sure you get a book. This is the first. Make sure you get a book that if you win the first set, your guy wins the first set, or the first set gets completed, then the money line still counts. Read the house rules. Very, very important factor. But... I'm going to 100% agree with you there. I mean, he should be easily over minus 200 with Benoit Paire's recent performances and statistics. I don't even need to talk about it anymore. I'm all on that as well, and uh, I'm ready to move on to my dog. I was going to say, I guess the argument is that Pear has been decent in the head-to-head because he is 2-1 and one in the head-to-head. However... I don't know why that matters because they have not played since 2017. In fact, the first meeting was 2011. I'm sure you can get a lot out of that 2011 meeting. It means nothing. The point is that Gajocic might not be the best player. At least he has some pride. He's happy to be there. He showed up in Atlanta. He won a couple matches. He's been okay on hard courts. Pear just shows up for the paycheck and then leaves. So if there's a chance one guy might automatically quit, after dropping the first set, or even if Pear wins the first set, he's easily capable of imploding at any time. So I'll take 160 with Gojo. Yeah, it's it's more than worth it when when you have all those factors around and the quitting factor. You know, it just adds on. You don't you may not think it's important, but it, it really is important. If, it is, especially yeah. if you know that your book cashes you out if they play a full set. Right. All right, I'm going to go on to my, to my lock. And, oh, you mean your dog? We have the same lock. Oh, yeah, my dog. Yep, yep. And uh, I'm going to go with a two decent plus money dogs where if one of them wins, I still cash a good amount. And the first one I'm going with is actually going to be happening on Tuesday, and it's going to be Nishioka 
versus Brooksby. And I'm actually going to go Moneyline Nishioka. I know I made a good case for Brooksby on the last podcast, and we both thought he was going to win, and he, he played, I thought, a very close match. He ended up losing 6-3, 6-3. But the fatigue factor is definitely going to be there going through that entire tournament, making the final, and then losing. It's the worst outcome you could possibly have because you don't have momentum going into um, the next match, which we've talked about in the past with Baez, who I think actually lost in the first round after that. So Nushioka being at plus 250, yeah. they've played once this year already in Columbus, Ohio. Nushioka won in straight sets 6-3, 6-4. So I'm going to climb on him. And I'm also going to take, actually, Echeverry versus Kubler. I'm sorry, I'm going to go against your guy here. It's not um, right. Echeverry also played Kubler earlier this season, beat him in three sets. Um, both of them haven't seen too much uh, real ATP matches. They've been mostly in qualifying. Uh, but that's why I like Echeverry versus Kubler here. I don't think... Either of them have such great experience where one of them should be favored by so much on hard court, especially. I'm, I'm specifically talking about hard court. Um, I think Echeverry has only one match under his belt or two matches. Same thing with Kubler. And the fact that Echeverry um, is going to be a plus 250 here, I don't see really a reasoning behind it uh, besides if you think Kubler is such a high, more quality player than Echeverry, but I really don't see it here. And I, I'm going to take the value early on in these rounds and go with Echeverry as my dog and take two of those two separate dogs uh, separately. And even if one of them cashes, I make one and a half um, units. So, And just to cool. confirm there, the price on Nishioka was what? Plus 250 and plus 250. Okay, there you go. So for mine, I am kind of torn between two choices because the over two and a half sets was my, uh, I'd say, darling dog for the last couple of episodes, and then it went cold and didn't work last episode. I thought that Brooksby would be able to take a set, did not work out, and that ended up losing. So I am kind of on the fence here. I'm scrambling. Uh, but truth is, I think it's especially annoying because the bet I actually want to make, I don't think I see a line for, which is especially annoying. Uh, am I looking at the wrong tournament here? Is he in Cabos? Where is this? Um, give Who are we talking about? I can help you. Uh, so I was looking potentially at the Quan Kempfer match. On Tuesday? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Monday. Yeah, it's tomorrow in the, in the city open. It's, it's city open. Okay, that's what I thought. Because I was looking for it. I didn't see it. So I wasn't sure if I was missing something. Uh, yeah, it's just not listed in front of me. That's fantastic. I, I don't know why it's not listed. But all right, I guess I'm going to pivot. Um, I was looking at over two and a half sets in that match, by the way. Do you see that available? Because for some reason, I don't see it in the city open, and I'm confused why. Oh, yeah, the match isn't up for odds right now. I, I don't know why either. Uh, okay. Maybe they had a switch up in the matchups. Somebody dropped to make that happen, but I do not see them in the... I was going to say, it's the noon match for Monday. Like, it's it's kind of weird if you want to switch that up now. But yeah, I'm gonna, it's a little late. I was going to say, I guess I'll make a case for both because you gave out two dogs, which I don't even know if that's allowed, but we did it. So I'm going to go with over two and a half sets for Quan Kempfer uh, because I really expect that match to be a bunch of ebbs and flows. Both... Sir, both are not exactly great at serving by any means. 
But if you want to look at the head-to-head, they did play in Wimbledon in 2021, and that match went five sets, a couple tiebreakers in there. I think you'll see a very competitive match. Kempfer was able to breeze through qualifying uh, 6-0, 6-0, 6-3, 6-4. You look at who he played, he didn't play anybody. And Quan was able to beat Garin, no, not Garin, sorry, uh, Giron in three sets in Atlanta. I think Quan's a good player. Both players are not great at serving, so I do like the over two and a half sets there. And for the other one that's actually listed, I can confirm it's there. I'm going to take Avashka over Korda because Avashka was a guy who I mentioned briefly during the uh, Atlanta preview last week. I said 100 to 1. You know, I think he's a pretty good player. And he made the semis. So I got something right there because Avashka made a run there, but I think he's a solid player. Korda's a guy who should be so much better than he is, but he just insists on making all the matches as difficult as possible for him. And I can't trust him. And I think if you're looking at Avashka at even money, he's a guy who we just saw have a very nice run there, beating Tommy Paul, he beat Steve Johnson, he beat Hallis, he beat Rusevori in Spain right before that. I know that wasn't hardcore, but still. The point is he has pretty good results recently. Korda lost in three sets to Taro Daniel. He lost in two sets to Millman. He lost in three sets to Karenia Busta on grass, beat Green. And that's basically it. The point is, I don't like the form the court is in. I'll go with Avashka on the money line at plus 100. And once again, my favorite dog is going to be the over two and a half sets for Quan and Kempfer. But for whatever reason, I just cannot find that right now. So I, have, I had to give out two, I guess. Is that fair? Yeah, I did the same thing. You said, I'm not sure if that's allowed. We make the rules here. Yeah, and as it's our as podcast. Have, Deal with it. And I think at two at plus two fifty, in my opinion, even if you want to drop down your units a half a unit on each play, it still it still adds up to a dog. So in my opinion, we make the rules. So. Yeah, I'm trying to find what the if I could find the odds on the Quan thing to go three, but either way, Sam. Since uh, it's basically the end of the show, I'll let you say what you got to say. Anything you want to say before we wrap up? Uh, I just see two different uh, lower odds than we mentioned before. Medvedev to win the tournament, I do see lower at minus 185. And I see uh, something interesting that we'll both like. Uh, my, our boy Gojocic versus Benoit Pair, And I see Gojocic at minus 158. Okay. A little bit lower than we it's, mentioned. It's stealing. So, so <laughs> it's definitely stealing. It's definitely appealing. Yeah, by so, the way, th- to throw out an honorable mention there for the lock... I thought about doing a parlay, decided not to do it. I like Golfen against Jack Sock. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw it out there. Sock was involved in doubles with Ram lost in the semis to Kyrgios and Kokonakis in a competitive three-set match there. But if you watch Sock in that match against Tommy Paul, he got blown off the court. And I don't know if Sock is injured. I don't know if he's out of shape. Could be both. But if you've watched him play recently on really any surface – the movement is totally shot. And I think that's a serious red flag. Uh, Goffin also played him three different times and won three different times. So it definitely makes sense. All in straight sets. So Bonus lock. Up. Give me Goffin money one. Beautiful. All right. Uh, you could see me. I'm going to skip your intro. I'm gonna, you could see me here on this podcast. <laughs> um, we just had one last night. We have one today. Crazy content coming out from here. And at Sam Jacob Tennis on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter 
at Reichel Radio. Besides that, still doing WNBA, still doing tennis, of course, doing NBA. I know it's been a couple of quiet weeks because we're in the middle of the offseason, and the only thing worth talking about is the Drew League, which doesn't really count for anything, so we decided to just not have any episodes. I'm going to talk with Sam, though, after we finish recording. I don't know if we want to do more episodes during the week, but there are matches every day, and we're kind of skipping like three days of action in between episodes. Do you think we might have to up the dosage? Depends on the tournament. Uh, I mean, uh, when you go to the Los Cabos... Uh, mostly mostly City Open, because there's a lot of matches that are intriguing. Very true. A big, big tournament. Tournament's wide open. Yeah, so maybe uh, we'll do another episode for the quarters or something, but we'll see. But keep that in mind. Besides that, though, that's going to do it for this episode. Good luck to all of you and all your bets. Bye, everyone.